The story is in front of us in a classroom. We just have to look. If kids are engaged in learning during a lesson, there will be plenty of evidence. We just have to collect it, look at it, and use it. Hi, I'm Diane Sweeney, and I'm the author of The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching and our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance. And I'm Brandon Lewis, and I'm an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri. And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together. Welcome to this episode of Student Center Coaching, the podcast. If you did not listen to our last episode, how it started, you might want to go ahead and hit pause right now and listen to that before you check back into this one. It was the 40,000 foot view of Student Centered Coaching and kind of the early years of, of Diane's thinking and what led to the work that she has been doing. This episode is going to be the exact opposite. And we're going to dig into the practices of student-centered coaching. If you are new to this coaching model, this will be extra beneficial for you since we're going to really dissect it and break down some of the different practices. And for those of you that are experienced with this model, this is a good opportunity to hear some of Diane's newest thinking. Let's start a big picture here at the beginning. How okay. does student-centered coaching compare to other approaches to coaching? Yeah, we've kind of been somewhat unique in our approach to coaching over the years. And um, I'd say that we oftentimes use language that relates to approaches uh, and kind of entry points for coaching and purpose for coaching. And so, um, you know, we, we oftentimes will refer to a bullseye graphic that we liked that actually was on the cover of the Essential Guide book. But it's the idea that if you think about it like a bullseye, you have student learning at the center and you always wanna be aiming for that in anything we do in schools, not just coaching, but anything we do in schools, we always have to be organizing around student learning. And so if you think about it as ringing out, there are different approaches that are, some are further away from student learning and some are closer to student learning. And an example that's kind of far away from student learning is the idea of, coach as resource provider or something we call relationship-driven coaching. And the thing about that is that it's, it's lovely because the coach is helping the teachers with things like assessments or getting materials ready or managing classrooms or all of those important things, but there's really no measurement around student outcomes. There isn't necessarily any design in the work that's about kid learning. It's all about helping the adults. So we, we think of that as one approach that is a little bit different than, than our approach, which we use um, uh, in student-centered coaching. The other kind of common approach that you'll find out there is the idea of teacher-centered coaching, which is much more about teacher behaviors, implementation of programs, for example, um, helping teachers with certain practices that maybe a district is adopting. And so a lot of the time teacher-centered coaching is very much about making sure teachers are doing things correctly and with fidelity. And that's where I started as a coach because I was very much about 
helping teachers learn how to do workshop model in their classrooms. And so it was all about that. That's a little far away from student learning also because it's not really designed to focus on student learning. It's very much about the adults. So that's the most common approach we find out there around coaching is very teacher-centered approaches. If, For example, if you were to videotape a lesson and then um, talk through it with a teacher, that would be teacher-centered coaching because that would be very much about how did the lesson go? So we think you can get, get even closer to uh, student outcomes and to student learning by making the coaching about two things at the same time. One is the student learning and one is the teacher practice, the instructional practice. So with student-centered coaching, we really kind of are different in that we think you can do both at the same time. So we're always looking at how do we, how do we support teachers to teach really well, but how do we also make sure that whatever we're working on with teachers is impacting uh, the learning amongst the students in their classrooms. So that's kind of a, a way to think about it. A through line would be relationships. That's needed for all of these. I just wanna say that as well. So to keep it focused, like you said, on the students, the, the best way to do that is to have a student-focused goal. Yes. Right? So do you wanna talk a little bit about that? So a goal could be very teacher-centered in coaching. It could be something like the teacher will do X or learn how to implement Y. But our goals are student learning focused. So that's a big way we start being all about the learning very quickly. So for example, with student-centered coaching, our goals would start with students will learn blank, fill in the blank. And usually that goal would be, it's pretty much always going to be aligned to some sort of learning standard, whether it's a you know, traditional academic standard, or it could be a tech standard or a um, second language learner standard. It could be any kind of standard that relates to learning, but um, we're always trying to organize our, our conversations around goals for kids. And this would be our goals for, I just want to be clear, our goals for our coaching cycles um, are kind of what Brandon, I think you're asking about, um, which is a big structure we use, but we're always shooting for very much unit aligned or curriculum aligned or standards aligned goals that are all about what students are going to know and do. Can you speak a little bit to the difference of a goal being very targeted at something specific versus um, kind of a big picture, broad goal? Like the difference of like learning targets versus like overarching intentions. So can you talk a little bit about where you feel like that student-centered goal should maybe better aligned to? Yeah, that's a great question. And oftentimes we'll think about a goal for a coaching cycle would be in the learning intention kind of space in terms of scope. And so by that, I mean, it would be something that would take a coaching cycle is about four to six weeks in duration. So it would be something that would take a good chunk of time. It would be more like if you were to think about Webb's depth of knowledge, a level three, DOK level three, would be a goal for a full coaching cycle because you're gonna be working together through hopefully a whole unit. So it could be something to give an example, it could be something like writing an informational text or solving two-part word problems, right? Something that's gonna take some time. And then underneath that goal for a full cycle, you do need those learning targets also. You need to unpack that goal. 
So what does it take to write an informational piece of text? Or what does it take to solve two step board problems? What operations are we using? What's the perseverance we're looking at? How do kids need to learn how to read the problem and decide how to manage it through it as learners? So there's always gonna be for a full cycle, there'd always be a goal, which is like at the learning intention level, and then a success criteria that would tuck right underneath that. And then that success criteria is what a coach and teacher or team, if it's a team cycle, would look at and use as their roadmap for that work. So that would tell you kind of where to go with, with your lessons. I know, um, especially my first year as a coach, when I struggled sometimes to, to write these goals with teachers, they were able to articulate what it was they really wanted to focus on. But then as I would you know, start writing it with them, sometimes I struggled with knowing if, if it was the correct goal or the way it was worded. And I know a big rule of thumb I learned very early on was if you can use it to collect student evidence, then you know you're at least headed in the right direction. So that was yeah. kind of like an early little rule of thumb that I always, that I always yeah. had. That's a, good, that's a good way to think about it. Student evidence is such a big part of all of this. I do want to mention one other thing too, is we've introduced mini cycles through COVID and mini cycles are really cool. They're just a, a smaller version of a full cycle. And a mini cycle would be like a target, a learning target would be the focus. Because if you're going to be with a teacher for four to six weeks in a full cycle, but maybe one week in a mini cycle, you're going to need a narrower goal. So it makes sense to, to make it less of a unit focus goal and more of a target focus goal. So it might be just snappy starts, you know, could be all you work on or, or something related to student engagement or something like that. I know that I've worked with a lot of teachers over the years where what they came to me with sometimes was smaller like that, or it was a specific target or a chunk of criteria. And so always wanting to still dig into that because it was still student centered. I feel like the work is being honored now with these mini cycles because it is good quality work. It is still hitting some of the different elements of, of co-planning and co-teaching and looking at student evidence. It just isn't over a large amount of time. And I really appreciate that that's been a part of your new thinking. Yeah, it turned out it was really needed and honors others definitely in, a, in really interesting ways. And um, I think that if folks are intrigued by this idea of full compared to many coaching cycles, I'd refer you to our blog um, at dianesweeney.com because we've written, we're trying to get this idea out there pretty quickly. So we've written some, some um, posts there that folks can look at. Going back to talking about the goals, um, while they are student-centered, you had mentioned earlier that there's still that chunk of learning for the teacher as well. So um, we have our student goal. So we already have that written with the teacher. But answering that question of, of how is that going to happen, that really leads us to the teacher goal. Yes. Some coaches really think about it as kind of two goals in one, a student goal and a teacher goal, like you're framing it. And others just think of it as a student goal. And then they weave those instructional practices in with the teacher as they move through that, um, that cycle. So for example, if you're working on this idea of um, writing informational text, there's gonna be instructional practices that are used that are co-constructed, co-planned, co-taught, that then we build the capacity of teachers to continue do, using those once the coach is gone. And so we definitely believe and have plenty of evidence that you can impact 
the teacher practice and the student learning at the same time um, with kind of that entry point of a goal that's about kids. And then the, the follow through being that the teaching is how we get there. I'm glad you mentioned the part right there where you said, once the coach is not there anymore. I feel like when I'm in cycles and working, that's something that's always in the back of my mind of as we implement something, we've got to make sure that this is sustainable when I'm not here anymore. It could be great, but it could, we don't want it to be great only with two teachers in the room. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, it's a huge piece because we can't create these structures in classrooms that are dependent, like you just said, on two people being in the room. That just undermines the teacher's long-term efficacy. And it makes it all about the coach. Sometimes coaches are really good about making it all about themselves. And, and it's kind of, let me let me be the, the star here in this room and, and kind of own it, right? So when it comes to sustainability, we, we have written about the idea of ownership relating directly to sustainability. So who owns this work? It, it needs to be the teacher. So the coach can't hijack it and be all things, everything and modeling everything and teaching everything and thinking through everything. The coach needs to be the thinking partner with the teacher and helping the teacher put their ideas into place. And that is different. Certain teachers need different levels of scaffolding, right? If you're working with a first year alternative certificated teacher, it's going to be a different kind of conversation than if you're working with a veteran. But the, both situations, you want to be super respectful and making sure the ownership rests with the teacher. To make sure that ownership still lies with the teacher, what does that look like when it comes to um, a coach partnering with a teacher inside their classroom? Yeah, that's a huge piece. And we often say that if a coach is not in the classroom a lot, working side by side with teachers, then they're missing a huge opportunity. And we can't really do really the, the heart of this work without being in classrooms. That said, how we're in classrooms really is important to think about too. And historically, coaches have often really defaulted to two positions when they're in the classroom. Either they're modeling all the time and modeling full lessons and having the teacher sort of sit back and be a bystander or, or just watching. And then the hope is that the transfer would happen and that the teacher would then start adopting whatever they saw this brilliant coach doing. Um, the other def default practice that happens oftentimes is the coach sitting in the back of the room and just taking notes and watching a lesson. And that feels a lot like an evaluation. And so we kind of try to steer coaches away from those two extremes and more toward partnering in the classroom. So that would look like coaches and teachers collecting student evidence together and, and um, maybe pulling some groups and doing those side by side and thinking with each other throughout the lesson when there's a moment when something's kind of like, huh, didn't expect that. Let's have a quick check-in and think together about what to do next. And also the coach is really just truly there to help that teacher um, pull off the best lesson they can every single day. Um, and when you go into a classroom like this, you can't tell who the coach is and who the teacher is. It's just this seamless relationship and partnership. That takes norms. It takes partnership agreements. It takes a clear vision. Um, you can't just surprise teachers with this. And so um, we wrote in, in the, the Student-Centered Coaching the Moves book, we wrote a whole chapter just on getting ready 
to do this work in classrooms. And then we also include lots of co-teaching moves uh, that we can be using when we're in there. Not to make this a rigid thing, but do you feel like there is a, a good range of like how often the coach should be in there partnering in the classroom during a cycle? Yeah, definitely. I think it should be, well, if we think about a full cycle as being four to six weeks, I'd like to see the coach at least in there once a week, right? Um, Because that success criteria is that kind of compact between the coach and the teacher. We're going to go for these learning targets. So it's going to take some time in the room. Um, We say a range between one and three times per week. And you know, it depends if you're in a cycle with a team or a group of people, you might only be in there once a week, but you're rotating between and you're getting in each person's room once a week. So the structures vary a little bit, but definitely on a weekly basis, we'd want to see the coach in that classroom working side by side with the teacher. If the schedule works out perfectly, which it never does, is it a bad thing for the coach to be there every day? Yeah, I think it definitely starts to kind of push back on this idea of sustainability and co-construction. I think I'd rather see a coach pull in a new cycle, another cycle, than being in a classroom five days a week. Um, And of course, there's always interruptions. And if you're a secondary coach, I'd recommend working with the teacher to decide on one class period to be a part of each week, not all of them. Um, but I just feel like it's not, it's overkill to be in there five days a week. It starts to feel like that teacher isn't doesn't have any space to breathe really or make their own decisions. So if a coach is going to be in a classroom with a teacher multiple times a week, that's not something they can wing in the moment. So there's definitely going to have to be some time where they are planning those lessons out together. So do you want to talk maybe about what that could look like for co-planning? Yeah, there's only one structure we really recommend for co-planning because we like to keep it simple. We have heard enough times about how busy everyone is and how it's hard to get time for this. So we recommend two parts to a co-planning session and doing this anytime you're going to be co-teaching, you would do some co-planning. So you don't have to co-plan every lesson for the week. You just co-plan the ones you're going to be a part of. And it's always going to start with looking at some student evidence, sorting that student evidence, looking for trends. That student evidence could be observational notes. Let's say it's a preschool classroom or a kindergarten room. Maybe it's just, um, you know, we we noticed and named and collect evidence of how the kids approach some learning. Um, It could be something like exit slips. It could be some written responses to text, for example. It could be something that the students annotated. It's evidence. It's not data to where it's not a spreadsheet. So we always want to start co-planning with just some really rich evidence of what just happened in that room. And then that's step one in a co-planning process. And then step two is what's our response. And if you sort that evidence first, it becomes really straightforward how you want to differentiate because you're, you're looking clearly, you're always going to have different trends showing up. So that, um, that sorting then leads to differentiated planning. What's the lesson going to look like? Maybe it's even to the level of who are a couple kids we really need to check in with because we're worried about them because of what we just saw. And then what are we going to, what's that check-in going to look like? 
Or it could be, what's the small group work going to look like? Or what's the whole class lesson? Or what's, if it's going to be a math lesson, what, what are the numbers kids are going to be grappling with? Like actually down to kind of that level. Um, but it's mostly going to also include conversation about how are we going to share that lesson? Because I'm going to be in your room. So let's make sure we both have a role to play here. I'm noticing a trend in every um, answer you have. And this has come up in the part one, but you keep going back to student evidence and everything that you're talking about. And we learned last episode that that is, is the heart of what student-centered coaching is all about. We can't focus this work on students if we don't know what they know or don't know. The story is in front of us in a classroom. We just have to look. It's there. There is so much assessment information in front of our eyes. I mean, we, we might have to co-plan more rigorous work for kids to have better evidence. That's always a, a possibility. Um, but if kids are engaged in learning during a lesson, there will be plenty of evidence. We just have to collect it, look at it and use it, which goes back to something I just heard in a district yesterday, which was our teachers just need help on using the formative assessments that they have, not just doing them, but using them. And that's what we're talking about here. I know you have a lot of conversations with new coaches that are learning more about student-centered coaching and they're excited about it and they wanna do it. But their big question is, is how, how do we, how do I start? How do I get this implemented? If they are maybe the only one who maybe has this belief, what would you say are some things that some new coaches can do, or even experienced coaches that are looking to shift more towards this model? What are some things they could do to help make this successful? There's a history of coaching in our schools. We've been doing this for 20 years now. So it's not as if we're launching coaching out of the gate as this new thing. It's kind of a, an established, there's a sense, there's a perception among teachers and an experience base among most many teachers, if not most, about what they even think coaching is. It's a little bit amorphous, right? Like, what does it even mean to have a coach in my school? I could pull or survey a thousand educators and I get a lot of different answers to that question. So I think the first step is to just get very clear on what you're trying to do with your coaching work as a school or a district. I think this is, individual coaches can certainly do this. It's better to have it system level work. So we always recommend starting with the why for coaching. Why do you even have coaching? And if you're in a student-centered model or if you're following this framework, I think you ought to have students in your why. You ought to have a, a, a directly address that coaching really matters because it's the way that we support teachers to support their students' growth, right? Something like that is your, is your why. And then once you have that belief set, right, and the, and the community understands that's your intention, then you start to think about the how. And that would be coaching cycles and helping teachers understand what it means to be a part of this and understand what the expectations are and what the commitment is and, and how can they, can they trust it? And um, what does the principal think of all of this? So there's just so many layers to it, but I think we can 
We can really be very careful at the beginning of implementation. For example, I'm working with a district and we're talking about what do we even call coaches in their district? And we're leaning toward learning coaches because their district is focused on creating a culture of learning for all members of the district, from the superintendent to every other teacher. And so if that's the case, then they want to think about their coaches as learning coaches. You know, there's just that idea of, okay, so how do we truly create these conditions where folks understand what coaching is, they trust it, and then they'll engage wholeheartedly. Um, but there's a lot of distrust out there. And so sometimes we have to be pretty explicit that we're not doing coaching the way we've done it before. And that would be, for example, if coaching was perceived as being evaluative, if coaches were kind of quasi-administrators, if coaches were doing all of these things that we wouldn't describe as being coaching, well, then maybe you need to be pretty clear with teachers. That's not how we're going about this anymore. So I think that's a big thing. And then there's always just the need to skill up the coaches, right? It's a different set of practices to coach this way. It's not hard to do, but it just takes practice like anything does. So I think that's, those are two big areas I'd recommend. In my district, I know some of the more recent work we have done has been to really make sure we involve our administrators in these conversations and, and even in, the, in some new professional development with you. Uh, you even had a book in the last couple of years come out that focuses on the relationships between coaches and admin. Yeah, we even interviewed a coach and assistant principal in your district on our one of our earlier podcast episodes. So yeah, I think that we've found that without that principal coach partnership, it's not going to get to the level of deep implementation that we're, I think most of us are hoping for. And principals tend to just probably not have a ton of background in this. So we just have to build and work and partner with them just like anybody so that they don't, you know, if they come in thinking about coaching in a very teacher-centered directive way, we're talking about coaching in a student-centered way. There's a really great conversation to have there uh, and to really build a shared vision. And then we also always recommend for coaches and principals to meet every week and to really strategize around their work together and to truly be partners in the work. And also a big piece of the book that you just mentioned was thinking about how it all connects to the school improvement plan. So if we have a focus goal, you know, of some kind over in our school for the year, how does coaching connect to that? How does professional learning connect to that? So making a lot of connections between things so that we're not just hiring coaches and expecting that's gonna be enough. That's just the beginning. Like Diane had just mentioned, if you are relatively new to this podcast, episodes three and four were both conversations with coaches and their admin. So if you are um, interested in, in learning more about that in, in two very different environments, those would be great episodes for you to go back and listen to. These last two episodes have been a lot of fun for me. It's been great to get to pick your brain, not only about how student-centered coaching came about, but then also to kind of just take a step back again and just kind of dig into some stuff that um, I have known for a while, but to get to uh, just kind of rehash it and learn more, it's been um, impactful for me and I know it has been for others. So thank you for taking the time these last two episodes to do this. We appreciate it. 
sure. I can't wait to get back to interviewing other coaches, but it's been fun getting to share some ideas as well. So thanks, Brandon. We appreciate you, Diane. Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SC Coaching Pod.